Now you're going to get to see how fast your pastor can read, because we've got, we've got some scripture. I, just, I, I, I wanted to take some out, but we just really can't. It's a good story. Now, and I think I've preached, even used this, some of this as illustration before, but okay, who, who was raised in the 80s? You can admit it. It's okay. It's a great time. Who, in the, you may not want to raise your hand, but who watched professional wrestling? Oh, I know there's more than that. I know there's more than that. Okay? Now, who still watch? No, you don't have to answer that. Now, some of the people that we watched, there were some big, give me, throw, I'm going to try to get some, some response. I've got to get up here close so I can hear you. Who were some of the wrestlers that you remembered? Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan. The ultimate, see, that's, that's what I like. I did. Anybody else? Well, hmm? Roddy Roddy Piper. Roddy Roddy Piper. I remember that now. There's Rick Flair. Woo! Can do it. That's good, Mike. I like it. Now, see, they were fun, right? They knew how to hype a fight, right? That's what they're really good at. They knew how to come out. They put on a show. And you realize it's a show later, right? When you watch Princess Bride and you see Under the Giant really believes the nice guy, right? They're putting on a show, but they're really good at hype. They're really good at trash talk. They're really good at all of these things. Now, when we think of Andre the Giant, when we think about the story of David and Goliath, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. We're going to actually read through that whole chapter. It's a long chapter, but we're going to read through that, and we're going to be there. This is the story of David and Goliath. Now, I don't know about you, and when I get in my mind, I'm thinking this, I mean, you kind of kind of think about Andre the Giant is, is kind of playing that role in your mind, because I think he'd play it pretty well, right? He, he would be able to, use, so if you visualize, read, you've got to imagine this guy is almost, you know, nine feet tall. He's able to do miraculous, in theory, they, they saw him as being able to do miraculous feats. We know they weren't miraculous feats, but he was able to do more than any other person on the side of the Philistines. He was the ultimate warrior in that respect. He was there, as they put it in Scripture, he was their champion. We're going to talk a little bit about what we are to get out of this story. It's a historical story. This is part of our bigger story. We always want to make sure that we're placing David in this and where his importance was in the story of God, in the redemptive plan of God that brings us out of our bondage. Of where David stands in this because he is important. He is in the line of Jesus. He is truly, in, in, give me this, he's a precursor to our Messiah. And we see that in this story. Verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesus, between Sokah and Ezekah. That was fun. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, and there was a valley between them. This is part of the story that's highlighted often because they gathered, they have huge armies, and they don't want to come down. Why do they not want to come down and fight? Because the first one that comes down put, is put in immediately in a terrible military position. So neither of them really want to come down. So they're kind of at a standstill, but when you're at a standstill with your enemy, you kind of just start barking a little bit, right? You start hyping the fight a little bit. But see, they had, the, they had the secret weapon. They had this champion in Goliath. 
It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Most believe that was a, a little above nine feet. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. Now, I know that we have a couple people in here about 125 pounds, and I can't imagine putting them on top and trying to walk around. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. I don't know what greaves are, but he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and the, its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. He had a whole other shield that he had a person that had to carry it, because that's all they could carry. They couldn't carry anymore. He could carry all of that together. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. The Israelites were hearing this from the other side of the valley. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and to kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This wasn't actually unheard of. This is sometimes they, they represented those, and instead of a huge bloody battle, they subjected themselves to the outcome of that. Well, of course they're going to suggest this. Of course this is, gonna, this is a great plan for them, because they have this champion in Goliath that no one else can stand up to. Now, I want us to think for a second, if, if, if you're Saul in this, right? Saul's got a big part in this story. He is the head of the Israelites, right? What do we know about Saul? He was taller than everybody else. He was supposedly a handsome man. All of these things. Who do you think all the Israelites that were standing on this side when, when Goliath comes down and he is making this challenge, who do you think all those Israelites are thinking is going to go out there and fight him? Oh yeah, he's our king. He's the one that's bigger than everybody. He's, he's supposed to be our best warrior. So they all turn and they're probably looking at Saul. What's Saul doing? Hey, who's, who's going to go? Who wants to go? They got any volunteers over here? We see Saul, he, he doesn't want to go. We see that he is not right with God. We saw that at the very previous chapter. See, Samuel had anointed David just before this. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 16, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. An evil or harmful spirit tormented him. He was no longer anointed in that same way. He did not have. So now, not only does everybody have this wonderful expectation that he be the one to go out to Goliath, he no longer feels that he has God with him. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Well, I think that's fairly normal. They see him, they just, they just give up. Now many times we've heard, anybody ever heard this story before? You can raise your hand. Okay. Who's heard the story of David and Goliath before? 
Thank you. There we have this. This is a well-known story. And now normally this story is really put in the context of what? We can slay giants. No matter what giants, there's great cookies. There's, there's lots of stories. It's, it, we can overcome the giants that are in front of us, that we should not live in fear of the giants before us. A lot of times it's put into that context that we are not to fear those things because we, will, we can overcome those. Because guess what? Who, and this is the key to this whole passage, giving you the answer at the beginning, who is the hero if we look at it like that? Who's the hero if we're taught that all the giants before us, all we have to do is have courage. All we have to do is stand up. We've already fought lions. We've fought other things. All we have to do is stand up to the giants in our lives, and they will fall. That makes me the hero in that story. I don't think that's the right reading of this story. It's about this confidence. It's about what do we have confidence in. It's too many times these giants come out. We don't have to be scared of the giants in front of us, as scary as they may be. I'm going to go on. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite. I can normally say that. Named Jesse. He was from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons. We've seen that from the anointing. They brought all these other sons. They weren't, they weren't the one that Samuel was looking for. He had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. They were already there. They were the ones that had already heard Goliath's taunting. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. We've heard that story. It is important that he's from Bethlehem. For 40 days, 40 days, now that's a big number in the Bible too, but for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. He taunted them. They were tested. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Well, they thought they were fighting. You've been out there for 40 days, right? They knew they expected to be a little bit more of this fighting. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of, the, of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think the Philistines really cared much that they were doing their war cry after 40 days? They come and they, they come out every time and Goliath would make his taunt. He would make his proclamation. He, was, he would challenge whoever would come forward. And then all of a sudden, these Israelites, they start chanting and yelling and acting like they're getting ready for it. They're not getting ready for anything, right? Now, sometimes I think that's, I don't want to be too harsh. Sometimes that's me. Sometimes I think that's the church. We'll put up this great war cry, this whoop, that we're ready to go. We're excited for God. We're ready to do the things of God. We're ready to take that next step in our lives. We're ready to do all these things. And we but we don't actually descend down into the valley.
Israel and the Philistines, verse 21, were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now we're talking some incentive, right? Who would like that? You can raise your hand for that, too. He, the, the, he's giving these things over. Now, now his daughters weren't always a prize. I don't know if you, you can read a forward a little bit. He tries to use them, too. That's, it's not the best thing for him. Uh, but David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the enemies of the living God? He understood that the taunts were not just at them. He understood that the taunts were against God himself. And he said, this is not who we are. We are to stand stand up for. We are not to be ashamed or fearful of who we are in God. Who is this man that defies God? Oh my goodness, he's thinking, does he not know what he's doing? We see even a few chapters before what happens to people that defy God. There's a whole story with the Ark of the Covenant in the beginning. Go back and look. One of their idols, their God, is put before the Ark. And how does he end up? If you look back at the story, he ends up with his head on the floor. Remember that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. He asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, I don't know, I I try to put myself in David's position in this part of the story, and I've come down, and I'm hearing Goliath. I'm seeing what he is doing to my God, what he is saying about my God. (coughs) Excuse me. And I'm saying, why are you all fearful? Do you not know who your God is? Why are you scared? Do you not know who your God is? That is part of this story, that we do have giants, we have things in front of us. And it's not, how courageous can we be? It's us answering the question, how big is your God? Do you not trust, do you not have faith in how big they are, and not to fear Goliath? But no, he's actually attacked by his brother. How conceited are you to come down and even ask this question? He's like, how do you question this situation who do you think you are and david's response if we read it how a lot of people do david's response would be what i'm david i'm going to take him down but it's not he said i'm david who serves a wonderful lord 
Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David says to the king, David says to the one that should be the one fighting, right? David's, man, he, Saul's like, go for it. He's like, anything, if I don't have to go, go for it. I don't want to do it. I, I want to save some face. Nobody in here has ever wanted to save face, right? He wants to save face. He wants to send someone else. He says, go for it. Saul said, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been warrior from his youth. Oh, wait, you mean Saul didn't? Tell him to just go for it. Saul didn't want to do it himself, but he's like, but see, Saul understands that the entire Israelite people there are at risk. So he doesn't want, he doesn't want to do it, but he doesn't want to just send this, this person out. This young boy, probably not even 20 years old yet, had been with us, not even coming out. To, he's not even one of the three of eight brothers to come out into the battle. I mean, his, he doesn't want to put it into his hands. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Do you start to see Christ in this passage a little bit? I hope you do. Because it's there. And it's supposed to be. This is part of that story. This is that foreshadowing. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. See, that last part is a really important part of this passage. See, he says, this is what I've done to the bear. This is what I've done to the lion. It would be really easy to say, I'm courageous. I believe I can do it because I've done it with these. But no, he says, your servant has killed both of these because he defied the enemy, the armies of the living God. The uncircumcised Philistine This is a guy that loves God. We know his mistakes later, but he loves God. He does not want to listen to this taunting. He wants to stand up because he has faith in who God is, that God he has seen has brought his people out. He sees God that has the authority, that God has this courage. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. See, he doesn't say it's because I was good enough to kill the lion, because I was good enough. No, I was doing the work of my father. I was tending to the sheep. I was doing, I was where I was supposed to be. When you're in the center of God's will, there's protection, there's provision for you. Not in always earthly ways, but there's protection and there's provision because he's where he was supposed to be and he gave credit, he gave glory, he gave praise to the God that he was serving. The Lord who rescued me from the Paul of Lion and the Paul of the Bear, he will rescue me. He had faith to practice. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He knew he couldn't do it. The Lord's spirit wasn't with him, but he recognized he knew what he had had when he had that spirit. He had had favor over armies that should have destroyed them. See, this is still a part of that redemptive plan that he is bringing the Israelites out and giving them favor over these other uh, 
other entities, other governments that were not a part of God's plan, that did not love God, that served other gods. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him. This is the part where I'm talking fast. And a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Have you ever put on someone else's clothes that, guess what? How tall was David? He wasn't as tall as Saul. He was a good-looking young man, it says, but he didn't say he was tall. Saul was tall. If I put on somebody else's stuff, you know, that's even six feet. If I put on someone else's stuff that's seven feet or eight feet tall, it is going to not work very well. It doesn't fit me. He says, I have not proved this. I have not tested this. I cannot go out in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch in the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now, these stones were pretty large, probably. I don't know if you know much about slings. We'll talk a little bit. Slings were actually really good weapons. This is not some really secondhand weapon. They have, some have actually done studies, they have stopping power of most handguns. And they have this large ball. It's a momentum. Now, a lot of people swing it around, 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 around. That, that actually is not real accurate because you need to have some control so you're only going to swing it once or twice. He had practiced and he had practiced. And he practiced. He's a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. What's he going to do? So he's gotten really good with this. He knows what he can do. He's killed a lion. He's killed a bear. He understands this. He understands the importance of having the right weapon. Now, why didn't all the army have these weapons? Well, there's some things that don't work well when you get a bunch of people. It works really well with one, but if I've got Chip over here, and i got David over here, and Dwight over here, and we're all going here, and we're all swinging these things around and trying to throw things, it doesn't work well in a big setting. But one-on-one, it's very accurate, it's very powerful, and David knew how to use it. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. Even he thought he was handsome. I find that kind of interesting. Even he thought so. And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That was the last thing that he ever should have done. He cursed his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give you flesh, give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Like I said, he is a great taunter. He would have made a perfect professional wrestler, right? He would have fit right in. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you what? He doesn't say I come with you with great courage. He doesn't say I come to you with sword. He doesn't even say I come with you with a sling. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He never once says that you will be delivered into by his power, by his ability, by his courage. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. There's purpose. Why do you face giants in your life? 
Is it for your glory or is it for the glory of God and His purpose? Is it for His ability that we give honor and praise? Why do we do that? We do it because it brings God glory. David, that's having the heart of God. That's being what we are called to be. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Whatever your giants are, it's not so that you can show that you have courage. It's not show that you can defeat one. It is to bring glory to God. All those that gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear the Lord, that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly. We've got a lesson there. We need to run quicker sometimes to our challenges, to our giants, to our battles. He ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. Now see, this thing, we always, what do we call David in this story? Now there's been others that, that have brought this, highlighted this uh, many times, but uh, why, what do we call him? This story is synonymous with one word in the English language. It's called underdog, right? I don't think that's right. Why is David an underdog? Why is someone that if you take the greatest champion and you put them here, and you put them a weapon, a sword that's going to be combat hand-to-hand within this space, and you take over here with a weapon that is really pretty far superior and can actually reach over there without getting to him, and you put it in the hands of somebody that knows what to use it, and you put the, the, the anointing of God on them, who's, who's the really underdog here? This is not a story of being an underdog to achieve and to go over. It is against giants, but it's not against some... There, he does not have the advantage in the story. David has the advantage, and he has a confidence in who is with him. It is not David's confidence. It is God's confidence coming through David that brings him this triumph. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, struck down the Philistine and killed him. You see, right, there's something called blasphemy in, in, the, in the Old Testament. It's, it's bad. It's bad now. That's what Goliath was doing. Do you know what Leviticus says is going to happen to you if you blaspheme? What's the punishment? It's stoning. Well, that fits into the story real well. This is what David has done. This is God's judgment on Goliath. God's judgment on the Philistines. We don't want God's judgment on us. So we need to do what he has called him to do. So who is the hero in this story? David ran, stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the sheath. He killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. He said he would. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. You see, if we see David as the hero, guess what's going to happen to David later on? He's going to die. Now it's in a bed, it's not in war, but it could have been. But we see that if our hero is David, we will 
experience their death and we will run and we'll hide and be terrified when we understand that the true hero in this story is God and not David and it certainly is not ourselves we're not supposed to see ourselves in David that's what we've been taught that's what we've been told is you're David you can go against any giant you can go up against anything and you can overcome that no God can God can God can we are not David Who is David? Let me tell you a man named Jesus that was able to see victory, to see the favor of God, to see what is going to be coming down the path and knew that he knew that he knew that he would be able to defeat that. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. See, guess what? They didn't even live up to their bargain. David won. They were supposed to submit. They were supposed to surrender. They were supposed to become subjects to him, right? But no, they ran. They weren't going to give up. They didn't even live up to that. That's how the world is to us. The world is the Philistines in this. They're, they're going to lie to you. They're going to cheat. They're going to do whatever it takes. They're going to taunt you. Are you going to give in to that? Are you going to do what God calls you to do? Because then we really can. When we give over to God, allow God to do what God does, allow God to be the hero, that we are the Israelites standing, cheering God on, knowing who he is, believing in him. I'll tell you, the Israelites didn't do a very good job believing in David, but they didn't have any other choice. But guess what? We get to believe and know the end of the story. We get to know that Jesus is going to overcome these and overcome the things in our lives as well. Dropping down just to 58. I know I'm going long. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. I tell you, there's a humility that he goes in and out, David's got his issues, but he knows who God is. He knows that there's a seemingly insurmountable enemy in front of him, and he doesn't care. He believes in a God that is able. He believes in a God that wants to bring about victory. Do you believe in that God today? Are you trying to be the hero of your life? And I think that, that really is the final key here. Are you trying to be the hero in your life? Are you trying to see from the story and have courage to do it? Man, I don't need courage. I need faith. You know how courage? Goliath had courage. He didn't have faith. Goliath had courage. He didn't have God. Everyone in here, let's try to do that eye contact thing. Everyone in here, no matter what they're going through, as a God that is able, that wants to, that is there, that there is nothing greater than him. How big is your God? If you make him any smaller than bigger than anything you know, he is too small. He is our hero. Jesus Christ came. He, David is foreshadowing in this story, this redemptive plan. He will give us victory Goliath represents something more than the Philistines. He's not fighting on half of just the Philistines. This is, what is the greatest foe that we know? What is the insurmountable foe that we know is death. 
we have a God that is going to come. Not in the armor, not on the shining horse, but on a donkey. He's going to shed those things of earth. He's going to take on the very death that we all have coming. And he brings victory over an insurmountable enemy. With joy, with confidence, but knowing David wasn't doing it for himself. Remember? They said they were going to give up. They were going to have this great victory. He, he knew God would be faithful in their victory. He did it knowing that all these others coming behind, that were not going to be able to defeat Goliath, would be freed as well. That is the God that we serve, that will free us, that goes before, that stands tall, that puts everyone else to shame. You have that God in your life today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. We thank you for the great victory that you have provided. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. You will bring about and make all things right. Lord, we pray for those that defy you. We pray for those that mock you. One of the other things you did is you died for them as well. They do not have to stay Philistines. They too may enter in if they come, if they confess, accept what you have done, accept your forgiveness, if they repent and believe, if they are baptized, if they serve you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, they too, and it is our prayer, not that they remain our enemy, but that they become our brother and sister. We give you this day, Lord, we pray that our hearts do not try to make ourselves the hero, but recognize and understand that you are not an underdog in this fight. You are going to win overwhelmingly. The weapon is the right weapon. And we love you and we praise you this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. About this time, I'm going to invite Ronnie to, to prepare. But as we do, anybody that has not been with us, we do have a, a little bit of a tradition. You will see in front of us that, that there's a small pail in front of the baptismal. And if you would come, I'm going to invite you. We're going to start some music. I invite you to remember your baptism. Just like we do with community, we go back and we have this memorial, we come forward. And what we do here as well, and I'm going to unplug, and we didn't forget to take this out, it just was still a little cool, and so we we're trying to be nice to Ronnie. So we'll take this out. And I want you to come forward, and I want you to take this, one of these cups. You don't have to fill it all the way, there's not that much water in here. And I want you to pour into... We, did, we do memberships a lot of times at the same time. Do you realize how much we are called to pour into one another's lives? I want you to remember that you have been baptized, that you have received this great call, that you received this great gift, that you have received the Holy Spirit in your life. And then when we baptize other people, that you have come to a place where you are ready to pour 
pour into one another. That's the beauty of that local church that we talked about. I'm not going to reiterate that. So we're going to play music, and I'm going to invite you to just take a moment, and then come, then come down. Remember your baptism, what God has brought you out of. Remember that you too were dead. You too were in sin. And you've been brought out of the grave. You have been brought into life. You've been brought into salvation. And that we are to pour into one another in the hopes and the promise of all that he gives. Ground, his body lay.
have something to celebrate today, don't we? Praise his name this morning. Praise his name. Amen. We're so happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Cory Community Church, the Nazarene, continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all of those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.